I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Please pray with me. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. One day a mother was having a deep discussion with her 12-year-old daughter about values. And she said, honey, what you need in order to survive in this world is faith in God and a good sense of humor. Her daughter pondered that statement for a few moments and then with a twinkle in her eye said, it also helps to have a credit card. Now there's a young lady who is thoroughly American and Americanized in our values. She's probably been influenced by the TV commercial you've heard countless times. With our credit card, you can get double credit for every dollar you spend. What's in your wallet? We are a credit card culture. And partly because of that fact, many of us have become irresponsible and undisciplined. The Wall Street Journal says that 70% of American households live from paycheck to paycheck and just one financial emergency could tip them into financial disaster. Over 80% of American households owe more than they own. They owe more than they own. The average American this week going into a shopping center in Lexington will have seven credit cards with a combined balance of about $2,500. And the average Lexingtonian will pay the minimum balance every month on at least some of those cards. The number one cause of marital friction in America is financial pressure and disagreements. We live in a culture that is seeking the kingdom of things and then trying to, sp to spray a little religion on it like an air freshener. Let's take a little written test, which is in your bulletin, a little written test, and you only have to answer yes or no to each question. First question, do you have three or more credit cards? Second question, do you pay the minimum monthly balance on any of those credit cards? Three, have you received a phone call from a creditor or his representative in the past month asking you to pay up? Four, if you're married, have you argued with your spouse about money in the past month? This is getting personal now. And five, if your car requires four new tires in the next month, would you have to use credit to pay for it? Now, if you've answered no to all five of these questions, you're in pretty good shape. 
But I still want you to listen because the majority of Americans are not as well off as you are. And if you're retired, you may be saying, Brother Bill, we had to learn some of the facts of life about financial management through the hard school of experience. And I say blessings on you. But there are many people, perhaps sons, daughters, grandchildren of yours, people within your span of influence who desperately need some of the wisdom that life has taught you. And so as we consider the Bible's guidelines for financial management today, I want you to be in a position to reach out and share with people within your span of influence, prefacing it by saying, you know, I'm no genius and some of the lessons that life has taught me have been learned the hard way, but if I can be of help to you, here are some truths worth sharing. God did not intend for us to be financially distressed. Indeed, it is God's will that we prosper. How do I know? The Bible says so. Psalm 35, verse 27. Great is the Lord who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And again, in third, the third letter of John, chapter 2, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So if God wants us to prosper, then what are the guidelines for prospering? Well, it's only natural that we would turn to the book of Proverbs, the collection of wisdom from the great King Solomon who lived some 1,000 years before Christ, except for the Lord Jesus Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But even Solomon was not perfect. Even Solomon had a gap or two in his wisdom. Any man who would marry 700 women <laughs> is at least a court low in his household wisdom. But in terms of financial management, Solomon is right on the money. If any person or family will follow these guidelines, they will prosper. What are those guidelines? Avoid debt, save for the future, give first to God. Let's take them one at a time. The first guideline is avoid debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Notice that the debt is not called evil. I want to comfort my bankers a little bit here. It's just a warning that the debtor surrenders some of his freedom to the lender. Therefore, if we borrow, and surely almost all of us have to at some point, for a house mortgage, if nothing else, when we borrow, we ought to do so strategically, wisely, and with restraint. Now, it isn't normal in America to aspire to be debt-free, which is a shame. And therefore, we must dare to be different. People might even call us weird, but that's okay. 78% of Americans do not pay off their credit card debt every month. 78%. And the famous Christian expert in finance, Dave Ramsey, quotes a man named Kit who said, What surprised me was how quickly my debt grew. One month, I owed $500 on my credit cards. 
I paid the minimum for a couple of months, and suddenly I owed $3,000. Why do merchants and banks push credit cards? You know the, the, the reason. They know that we spend 12% more when we use a credit card than if we used a debit card or paid with cash. The average credit card char charge is 16.7% for overdue balances. Dave Ramsey said that most Americans cannot control their plastic. So he recommends plastic surgery. <laughs> Dave Ramsey says, cut them all up. I don't go that far. I believe that having one or two is okay if you pay the full balance every month. Now, when I meet with couples preparing for marriage, we deal with uh, finances among many other things because, as I said earlier, the number one cause of marital friction in America is finance and money. And I talk with them about debt. And I refer to long-term debt as more than 90 days. That's long-term. And I advise, use long-term debt only for house, car, business, or education. House, car, business, or education. Everything else, you ought to be able to pay for it in 90 days or save until you can. Let's suppose that you go out for dinner at a restaurant and the bill is $75. If you pay them and, and you charge it on your credit card, if you pay the minimum balance every month, that dinner will cost you $150. Now that is just poor stewardship. If you're in credit card trouble now, you probably got into it gradually, and that's the way you'll get out of it. Each month, pay 10% more on your credit card debt than you did the month before, and as you pay off one credit card after another, destroy them. Do like Dave suggests, plastic surgery. If you have a weakness in the area of credit cards, switch from credit to debit because the debit card is linked directly and immediately to the accountability of a checking account. Proverbs is right on the money when it teaches avoid debt. Here's the second guideline from Proverbs. Save for the future. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, and this is from the Living Bible translation, the wise man gives saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. My grandfather used to say, a fool and his money are soon parted. No, that's not in the Bible, but it's almost Bible. As rich as America is, the average family has less than $1,000 in total savings. Now, the key to savings is sacrifice. You've got to be willing to do without something now to have something better later. For example, you, let's suppose you're going to need another car in two years. Well, if you put $200 a month into a money market account, you will be paying yourself interest for the next two years, be in a much, much better position to purchase that car. Then if you wait two years and then take out a long-term car loan and pay interest to somebody else. Most families should always be saving for the next car, appliance, and a child's college education. Saving starts with a decision, perhaps to save 1% of income 
per month, preferably with an automatic deduction methodology. And if God blesses that adventure in savings, then a quarter later, three months later, maybe you add 1%, go up to 2%, and work your way up to a 10% level. Now, in order to save, you got to sacrifice something now. In other words, you got to cut down on expenses. How do you do that? Well, every family's different, but there are some ways that automatically come to mind. Instead of ordering pizza, cook something at home. Take a sandwich to work instead of going out to lunch. Cut back on movies. When's the last time you saw a movie that left you any better or nobler for having seen it? Cut back on your number of golf matches. It'll improve your language and your disposition. <laughs> Drop magazine uh, subscriptions. Many of them you probably don't read. And on your weekly date night, you couples, go to a less expensive restaurant. Now, parenthetically, I don't care if you've been married 50 years, don't you ever forsake that weekly date night. Don't you do it. It's critical. But you can go to a less expensive restaurant with some love and imagination. Chick-fil-A can be a really romantic place. <laughs> yes. With imagination, you can just you can imagine white tablecloths and music in the background, candles. Just just some imagination. The date night is critical. Don't forsake it, but it does not have to be a budget buster. Dave Ramsey says every family should start their savings with a $1,000 emergency fund. You know as well as I do that one part on your car can cost $500. And Dave Ramsey says start with that $1,000 and then keep building it up until it equals six months of total household income. Now, if you're an employer, you can help your employees save. The American economist Richard Thaler, who, who won a, a Nobel Prize last month, uh, has a plan called Save More Tomorrow. And this plan, which he recommends that employers enact, put into pra practice with the consent of their employees, it goes like this. Every time an employee gets a raise, 10% of that raise goes into his 401k, and the employer matches that amount as an incentive. You see, we are more successful in saving if our program is automatic rather than requiring a fresh new decision every month. Even the ants and the squirrels understand the virtue of savings. Well, surely we who are made in the image of God are at least that wise. Here's the third bit of biblical guidance about financial matters. Give first to God. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. And here the command is given in rural agrarian terms. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats, your vats, uh, will brim over with new wine and your oil. 
as well as the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give to the Lord. This is similar advice from Deuteronomy 18, verse 4. The first fruits of your grain, your wine, and your oil, as well as the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give to the Lord. When we give the first part to the Lord, we are testifying that God comes first. Furthermore, giving off the top flexes our faith muscles. On the other hand, to give God leftovers... And when are there any leftovers? Almost makes God an afterthought. I love the story that's told about a, a young boy in Africa years ago who uh, went to the hut where the missionary lived uh, one morning, and he was excited, and he brought with him this big fish he had caught. And he said, Pastor, you taught us what tithing is, so here I've brought you my tithe. And the missionary said, oh, that's wonderful, son. I'm so proud of you. But if this is your tithe, where are the other nine fish? And the boy said, they're still in the river. I'm going to go catch them now. That's what you call giving off the top in faith. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, now, Brother Bill, all of those guidelines from Proverbs sound good, but my situation is so drastic. I'm so financially stressed and stretched that I just don't know where to begin. Well, don't despair, brother or sister. I challenge you to go home this afternoon and sit down at a table and get out a piece of paper and a pencil and pray and say, Lord, help me make a start. And God will show you some things. God may show you some non-essential spending as you go back over the last two or three months of your check stubs and your credit card purchases, he may show you some non-essential spending that you can reduce or even eliminate. He may inspire you to pay an additional 10% on your credit card debt every month. And after you pay some of, the, some of those cards off, you may destroy them. You may decide to start an automatic savings plan of 1% per month. And as you consider your pledge to Mount Horeb Church, you may decide to give a fixed percentage off the top, trusting that God will keep His Word and will become your invisible financial partner. But if you still think, oh, Pastor, this is beyond me because I'm in terrible, terrible shape, I want to call your attention to the announcement in your bulletin about Christian financial counseling that this church offers for free. And it's confidential. The number and the email address are listed in your bulletin. What Among the many blessings that Mount Horeb offers its people, this is certainly a great one. I can find only one instance in Scripture when Jesus commended somebody for their giving. It's in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus saw a widow putting two small copper coins into the temple treasury. And Jesus said, she put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave all she had to live on. Now, the total dollar value of the, from that widow was tiny. Ah, but the percentage of her gift was awesome, 100%. The gospel writer Luke does not tell us what became of that widow. 
Oh, but I know, and you do too. You know that when Jesus encountered a faith like that, he managed to bring down on her a shower of blessings. Because when we act on faith instead of fear, God's grace and power are always near. Let me repeat that. When we act on faith instead of fear, God's grace and power are always near. God is not too impressed by the total dollar amount of our giving, but God takes careful note of the percentage of our income that our giving represents because that is a measure of our faith. Sometime in the next few days, you're going to receive by mail a pledge card for Mount Horeb Church that looks like this. And it's not a contract at all. It has no legal binding part to it. It's a covenant that can be changed at any time without even offering a reason. It's a plan that you hope to achieve with God's help. And you are urged to pray over it and prepare this commitment card and bring it next week and you'll have an opportunity to place it on the altar in an envelope confidentially covenant between you and God a church member without commitment is sort of like this glove without a hand in it fairly useless in fact this glove by itself frankly it's not even good for cleaning up a spill a paper towel can do a lot better job oh but if you insert a hand into this thing now then you've got sometimes a very capable, sometimes talented, very, very useful instrument here. Similarly, a church member without commitment is sort of like a glove without a hand. Not good for much except hanging around. Oh, but when that church member becomes committed, takes on commitment to the Lord Jesus and His church. Oh, it's like that gloved hand. It becomes a powerful instrument for Jesus. That church member becomes a disciple of Jesus and a powerful instrument for the kingdom of God. And indeed, those five fingers of the gloved hands represent the facets of Christian commitment. The first is church attendance. The second is prayer. The third is financial support for God and His church. The fourth is service, volunteerism, time and talent. And then the fifth is witness, sharing the gospel with others. I tell you this, if next Sunday on Commitment Sunday here, if hundreds of Mount Hora people bring to this altar five-fingered commitments, I tell you that the kingdom of God through Mount Horeb Church is going to explode across the Midlands and God will be glorified. All of our material assets are loans from a gracious Heavenly Father. And when you consider that God owned everything, He owns everything, and we are His stewards or money managers. Doesn't it make sense to manage God's assets according to the owner's manual, which is the Bible? That's what it means 
to be right on the money. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.